0: Decades of devastating loneliness. I saw that phrase like it was written on the wall. I was several tormenting hours into an ayahuasca journey where I was trapped in a horrible, empty world. There were only mechanical objects moving around, but there was no human emotion. I couldn't connect with anything around me, and I was desperate for connection. Nothing really bad was happening, but it felt so devastating and unending in a way that I couldn't even articulate. But the feeling, that feeling, I was caught in a loop of repetitive behaviors trying to escape the feeling that was gnawing at my entire being. I finally realized that I was actually trying to avoid that feeling my entire life. It was always there, as long as I could remember. I felt it in every relationship I had as an adult. I felt it growing up. I even felt it in the background when nothing else was going on. Feeling it in that moment with heightened awareness and a different perspective, I wondered how I could possibly live like that. How could I just go on like everything was okay when it clearly wasn't? It felt horrible. And that's when I realized things were never really okay. I never felt safe, especially around other people. There was so much betrayal, so much pain, so much loneliness for over three decades of my life. Devastating loneliness was the metaphor of the deepest wound caused by the ongoing relational trauma of narcissistic abuse. Devastating loneliness is also the metaphor of complex PTSD. I'm Meredith Miller, and this is the Inner Integration Podcast, where you can learn the mindsets and tools to help you heal after narcissistic abuse. By now, you might have heard that after a relationship with a narcissist, psychopath, sociopath, or other abusive person, you might end up with a complex form of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. You might be wondering what that is and what it means for you. In this episode, I'll explore complex PTSD after narcissistic abuse with you. We'll address some questions that I hear frequently like, is there a cure and is there any hope that it will get better? I'll explore some common symptoms you might be having in the early stages of recovery, and I'll give you some helpful mindsets and tools for self-healing. You'll learn about what happens in the brain due to abuse and trauma, and what you can do about it now. If you have experienced freezing up or dissociating when people abuse you, either verbally or sexually, you'll discover why this happens. You'll also understand why you might experience the freezing during flashbacks. In this episode, you'll discover how freezing is actually a survival defense mechanism and part of the fight or flight reaction. I'll give you some tips on what you can do to help yourself stop disassociating and be more present in the moment. So, what is complex PTSD? Pete Walker, a leading expert on CPTSD, writes, Complex PTSD is caused by severe abuse suffered within a captivity situation over a prolonged period of time where the victim has no viable or perceived means of escape. The abuse he refers to could have been sexual, physical, or psychological, or it could have also been neglect. CPTSD is often seen in intimate partner abuse, in childhood abuse, kidnapping, sex trafficking, prisoners of war, victims of bullying, and defectors of cults. It's far more damaging when it happens in childhood, according to trauma experts like Pete Walker and Bessel van der Kolk. I wanna tell you about some common symptoms of complex PTSD that you might relate to. Unless you're familiar with this topic already, you might have never realized before that these symptoms are connected, and that they're actually part of the complex PTSD. The main symptom is a huge, wounding of the trust. This is trust in oneself, trust in others, trust in the universe or God. You may find it difficult to trust, or maybe just the opposite, you trust too easily. In CPTSD caused by abuse, the wounding to trust takes place in relationships around the theme of betrayal. It is a betrayal by those who we love. It cuts deep into your soul and sense of self. That betrayal and wounding to the trust, especially when initiated in childhood, causes ongoing struggles in relationships. You might notice you have difficulty finding and recognizing healthy, respectful, loving, and supportive people. It might seem like you attracted one abusive person and situation after another, and this can show up in all areas of your life, like your intimate relationships, your family, your friends, bosses, coworkers, classmates, neighbors. This wounding to the trust makes it difficult to create healthy interpersonal relationships, which are necessary for healing. What you'll likely find is that there is a continual re-traumatization through relationships. While at the same time, you're desperately seeking safety in relationships. It can feel like a curse. You might even find yourself curled up in fetal position, pleading with the universe or God. It's not fair. Why does this keep happening to me? What is wrong with me? Essentially, you have a broken heart. It might have been broken so many times by people that you loved and trusted so deeply that you just don't know if you can let yourself love and trust again. Another symptom of the CPTSD is a sense of devastating loneliness. Due to the lack of deep connection with other people, you might feel devastatingly alone. You might feel misunderstood by others. You might find that you self-isolate. You might fear that no one believes you or values you. You've suffered in silence for so long. You're used to feeling the heavy shame of unworthiness. So it's no wonder if you don't feel like you can connect with people or you feel like an outcast or you feel like you just keep meeting abusive, toxic people. This loneliness is so devastatingly painful. According to studies, happiness has more to do with our relationships than with success. You'll also notice that you have a trash-talking self-talk. Your inner dialogue is your worst enemy. It is negative. It is subscribed to the reality of the abusers. You find yourself beating yourself up a lot, probably in similar ways that the abuser talked to you. This is also called the inner critic. You sabotage your own success and happiness sometimes. You might find yourself talking yourself out of things or discounting your progress and minimizing your successes. Your self-talk will also often catastrophize things, imagining the worst possible case scenario, dissociation. This is the survival defense strategy known as freezing. It's when you check out of your body, you zone out, you totally blank out, could be minutes, hours, even days at a time. Once you got triggered into a fear or a flashback, you're easily triggered. You might notice that when certain kinds of stimuli happen, they cause a flashback. It could be external triggers like interactions with people or places like something familiar or past events, or it could be internal triggers through your thoughts or your fantasies, your ideas that cause the flashbacks. Emotional dysregulation. In the early stages of recovery, you'll have moments of intense ups and downs of emotions and probably also moments of numbness. You'll notice that you have hair triggered emotions. Some things that feel like a big deal to you, to others, not so much. So you might feel like you're overreacting or overly sensitive, but at the same time, you feel like you can't help it. And that can cause downward spirals of abysmal negative emotions that can drive you to the point where you no longer have the will to go on. Visual, emotional, and psychosomatic flashbacks. You might see imagery and relive events of the past. You might feel a sudden emotional funk for seemingly no reason but you just can't shake that feeling. You might suddenly notice psychosomatic pain or sensations in your body, like a regression to the trauma that took place in those areas or even a symbolic way through points in the Chinese medicine meridian. Hypervigilance. You might notice that you're always on high alert for danger. You're scanning the environments and people. You might be extra sensitive to people's emotions, their facial expressions, tone of voice, even body language. You might question people on that stuff. You might get alarmed about inconsistencies in conversations when one day someone says one thing and another day they say something different. You feel like you need to clarify reality to feel safe. You might also notice that you have muscle armoring and stiffness because your body is constantly ready for the next trauma. So it manifests as tension, inflammation, and pain. Toxic shame. You feel unworthy because of how many times you were told or shown by an abuser that you aren't worthy. It was never enough. So you feel like you're not enough. Like you're not good enough. Like you're somehow damaged or defective. This shame causes low self-worth and isolation. Learned helplessness. It feels like inertia. You might feel an inability to rescue yourself. You might notice that you've been waiting and praying for a rescuer, for someone to save you from yourself and your life, but that just keeps drawing in abusive people who play the savior at first. This aspect of victim consciousness might lead you to the point where you can't even meet your basic needs of food, clothing, and shelter. This can cause further feelings of toxic shame and downward spirals hopelessness. In the early stages, it often feels like things will never get better. Like healing isn't possible. Like you're not capable and like good things don't happen for you in life. From this state of hopelessness, you just don't see how things could possibly improve. So you feel like why bother trying? Panic and dread attacks. This is one of the most debilitating parts of stage one of the recovery. These attacks can come out of nowhere and really disrupt your life. Panic can feel like you're going to have a heart attack, like you can't breathe, like you're freezing or suddenly overheated, and it can feel like you're going to die. The dread is like sudden heavy waves of crushing, gnawing terror that can even make you feel like your body is paralyzed or caught in a powerful undertow that is drowning you. Almost constant anxiety. This is the constant baseline feeling of restlessness and jitteriness or worry about what's coming next. Anxiety can cause tension and inflammation in the body. It can make you talk really fast, jumping from one subject to another quickly, and it can cloud your mind with a generalized fear about the future repeating the past. Social anxiety. You develop subconscious fears of people because of what other people have done to you. If it started in childhood, everything was always awkward about interacting with your narcissistic parent or when your narcissistic parent was around you and your peers. So as an adult, you might feel like you don't belong in groups of people. You might feel like you're an outcast or an outsider, like you're more lonely when you're around other people than when you're actually alone. So you might find that you isolate a lot. You don't really want to go out around others. You might even go to extremes, like doing your grocery shopping and other errands off hours to avoid being around a lot of people depression. This is a secondary symptom of the complex PTSD. And when it's diagnosed as the main condition, the patient never really gets better because the core of the depression, the trauma, has not been dealt with. Keep in mind, depression in men might not look like a dozen women who generally look sad and might even tell you that they're depressed. In men, it might look more like anger and passive aggression, and it often involves substance abuse and isolation. As you can see, there are a lot of intense symptoms that come with complex PTSD. Unfortunately, many mental health professionals are not trained to understand what to look for and how these symptoms are connected in the big picture. So misdiagnoses can take place. Complex PTSD is often misdiagnosed as depression, anxiety, panic, bipolar, or even borderline. If you got diagnosed with another condition and you don't really feel like that's you, you might want to seek out another licensed therapist who is experienced in complex trauma caused by abusive relationships. A second opinion or many more could finally lead you to the person who finally understands you. A lot of survivors of abuse wonder, is there any hope for me? Is this curable? I'm not going to lie. It's a long, gradual self-healing process. It can take several years when you're working hard on it. If you don't work on it, it will continue to get worse and your recovery struggle will be even more challenging. Honestly, I think this is something that's always with you in some way, just not nearly like it is in the beginning. It gets better and better. You can get to a point of having minimal symptoms and much healthier relationships while thriving in your passions and purpose, cultivating a life of peace and joy. There may always be some minor symptoms and you'll notice that your symptoms will increase for a few weeks after moments of crisis, like a natural disaster or witnessing violence or life or death situations, etc. but that too will pass. Pete Walker, author of Complex PTSD, From Surviving to Thriving, says there's no cure, that it will need to be managed through a lifetime, kind of like diabetes maps the multidisciplinary association for psychedelic studies is doing research that looks really promising for treating PTSD they're currently in phase 3 of clinical studies on MDMA assisted psychotherapy they're seeing 60 to 80 percent recovery rates of people with treatment resistant PTSD meaning they tried everything and nothing was working until they tried this and now they no longer qualify for the diagnosis of PTSD they are on track by by 2021 to have it FDA approved for this therapy to take place under the guidance of licensed psychotherapists in America. A couple years ago, I had the blessing of coming across MDMA. I experienced it as a magic key for complex PTSD. I felt like years or decades of healing took place during those six to eight hours where I was able to see parts of the traumas through the lens of love. I was able to connect with my inner child and reassure her that everything was going to be alright. My heart released droplets of sweat, each one a forgiveness of an abuser of the past, while I cried tears of relief and joy. The entire experience was pure love and connection. It was the most safe and at peace I have ever felt in my life. I've worked with other psychedelic medicines over the years and personally, I believe there is no better medicine for the trauma than MDMA. I'm very hopeful about the positive results that MAPS is having in their studies and the way that they're working to shift policy so that more people have access to this medicine and therapy if they choose so. Here are some of the best clips from my YouTube videos on addressing complex PTSD caused by abusive relationships the emotional threshold of PTSD. What is this? Well, I think it's sort of like an emotional hangover that's left after the narcissistic abuse. It's like, you can just go along and go along and we develop more resilience. You know, the more trauma we've been through, we survive it, we go on, we develop resilience. That's one of the amazing things that comes about after trauma. And it's like, we go along and we go along until like, we just hit this point. And it's like, maybe it's one thing, maybe it's like a chain of things. And suddenly like it Reaches like this certain level where you just can't anymore. You just can't. You shut down, you're at maximum bandwidth. It's like if you don't stop right there, the whole thing is gonna crash, right? You probably know what I'm talking about. I didn't know that there was a phrase for this. I had never heard of the emotional threshold. What I discovered is that there's some triggers that cause this. One of them could be dealing with a narcissist and their bullshit, just even on the phone or meeting them in person or being in the relationship. And, you know, they're using you or manipulating you or abusing you, or they're just not hearing your no. That's actually how I learned this, this phrase, emotional threshold. I had finished this coaching, three months of coaching, and at the very end, you know, the program, they put you back on the phone with the salesperson, and they're trying to upsell you for more coaching. And of course, I saw the value of that. And I really wanted to continue on just not at the time, it was like, you know, a month before I was moving to another country, I had so many things to get done, I was already nervous enough about the journey. And like, did I have enough energy and everything to get through? And there was a lot going on, I just knew I couldn't take on one more thing. And so you know, the person on the phone, the salesperson is pushing me and pushing me, I had to say no three times times and like each time I gave an explanation and that was the mistake because if you give an explanation and of course he was asking why but if you give an explanation to the person they take that as an invitation to tell you how your explanation is wrong and how their thing is right again not like I didn't see the value in it I totally did it was just the wrong timing and I told him that I'm like look I'm thinking September October like that's when I can foresee it this is my plan this is what I need to do that's what I want he just wasn't hearing my no you know he just kept saying well it's your fear okay there was part of that it's your ego Okay, fine, the fear is part of my ego, sure. You know, and then finally he said, I just really think that you're at the emotional threshold. And it was like, I just like broke into tears. Wow, you're totally right, <laughs> that, that's exactly the term. I'd never heard this term before. It's part of PTSD, I am at the emotional threshold. I was at, at the time before I was moving, like I knew I couldn't take anything more. I wanted to get done, I needed to get done. I couldn't put one more big thing on top of there. So as all these events unfolded over the last few weeks, that's what ended up happening as I hit that emotional threshold. I needed to have the breakdown in order to have the breakthrough. You know, sometimes like we just keep pushing and pushing and pushing through it, and we're like avoiding that breakdown. Like we just don't let ourselves have it. We're just like, no, I gotta get this done. No, I gotta do this thing. No, I gotta get this done. And sometimes it's just better to lay down in bed and just let it happen. Like let yourself go deep into that breakdown so that you can break through and come back from the emotional threshold. The triggers, right? Narcissists, the things they do, people not. Not hearing your no you know it doesn't have to be a narcissist just people not hearing your boundary of no what else can trigger this are like feelings of helplessness and powerlessness you're just trying to get something done it's totally out of your control the universe is just like not allowing you to do it um it could be feelings of overwhelm like you have the huge to-do list a lot of things to do and you just feel like incredibly overwhelmed that can put you over the top there's just too much to do or maybe you just feel defeated. Like you tried and you tried and you tried at something and you just couldn't succeed and you just feel defeated. You hit that emotional threshold, you crashed, you broke down. So what do you do in these cases when you hit that emotional threshold or when you're like feeling it coming on? Because now once you start to like pay attention to this, you're going to notice as it's creeping in. You're going to know when it's coming before it gets there. Hopefully. Once it happens, then you can like reverse engineer it and understand, oh yeah, that was that point where I should have just stopped. So here's my Suggestions. One is literally step away. Like, step away from whatever you're doing, whatever thing you're trying to get to work and it's not working. Like, you're trying to put together a piece of furniture or you're trying to solve something, customer support, whatever. It's out of your control. Just step away. Even if it's just for five minutes, just for five minutes, even step away. I was talking to someone who has children the other day. We were talking about this topic, and I'm like, man, you got three kids. Like, I could barely take care of me when I go into this and my dog. How do you take care of three kids? So, you know, if you're not single parenting, maybe you have a partner. Maybe you at least have someone else in your life. If you are single parenting, maybe there's like a relative or a best friend or a cousin or a sibling, someone. And maybe you can have some kind of code with them, preferably if this is your partner because that's someone who's there for you all the time. Just tell them, I just, I need an hour. I need one hour of no kids, of nothing. I just need to be me for an hour in the room. I just need to go cry. I need to have a breakdown. And then I'm going to come back or I just need to go into the bathtub or something, take a hot shower, but something where you can set it up that somebody else can take over for you to take care of the kids because you don't want to abandon the kids. Even though your intention isn't like the narcissist, you know, what could end up happening is if, if you can't be there emotionally present and you can't take care of yourself, the children could still experience a form of abandonment. So set up some kind of support structure if possible that someone you love and trust take over for you for that hour or however long you need to step away from that number two is be fully present you know and that that involves breathing just start breathing it's like we think oh yeah yeah yeah, i breathe i breathe all the time like of course i'm breathing i'm alive but no we don't really focus on the breath sometimes like we need to like we think we are but we're just not And, and we're taking shallow breaths you know maybe this deep we're not really feeling the lungs we're not feeling the belly expand and contract so just be present with what's coming up and breathing and that's how you can really notice the feeling that are coming up. I really recommend laying down if you can do this. If you're at work and you can't lay down, like, can, do you have a car? Can you go in your car? Can you put the seat back in the car? Can you lay out and just put, place one hand over your heart and one hand over your belly, for example, and just focus on your breath and just connecting to the breath and the present moment and the feelings that are coming up? Just lay into it and just feel it. Because if you try to avoid the panic, you're, you're just trying to stuff it down. It's like you become more desperate. The panic becomes stronger than you. You just got to lay down and just feel it sometimes so that it can totally come up. The third thing, and this is really important. I caught myself doing this. And it was, in fact, somebody that's really dear to me who said to me, don't minimize it, Ma. When you minimize, when you invalidate yourself, you know, what I was doing was like, I know it's not that bad. Like, you know, I'm looking around, there's a person in a wheelchair and there's like really poor people are struggling to get by. Like, I know my life isn't that bad. Why am I making it so hard? And she was like, don't invalidate yourself. It, what matters is what you feel. That's what's real, you know, all through your life, even in childhood, you were invalidated. Your struggle was minimized. Your pain was minimized. You were taught to stuff down the pain, to not really feel it because you weren't allowed to express that. So don't minimize, don't invalidate. You've had enough of that. It's time to be there for yourself and to be present. This is how I recommend dealing with the emotional threshold when you feel it. Like try to notice it when it's coming on because there's definitely those signs. Could be that you just want to push through it and you want to tough through it. I will admit it. That's my ego. I'm like, I can do it. I can do it. I can get through it. And then I end up flatlined, you know, in the (laughs) breakdown. So, you know, when you feel the breakdown coming on though, and it's like, you just feel like it's, it's inevitable. You have to let it happen. Go lay down, take some time alone, allow yourself to go into that breakdown, cry it out, allow the tears to come Ride out the storm, maybe take a really hot shower. I like to do that sometimes too. You might want to cry when you're in the shower, take a nice brisk walk, walk like you're running late exercise too. sometimes like a vigorous exercise like if you feel like you're on the border there and you can't quite get over the edge and like you just you know you really need to get into this breakdown so that you can get past this sometimes like especially if you tend to be more in the depressive side you might need to move the body do something exerting with the body to get that going for me personally like the best thing is just to lay down absolutely lay down shut everything off just go inside, go inside you. And that's the best thing you can do is to be there for yourself. Don't beat yourself up for it. Don't minimize it. Don't invalidate what you're going through because what you're going through is real. It's, it's The point isn't to compare yourself to someone else, to compare your struggle to someone else as, well, was it, the abuse is bad, you know, is, let that go. You've had enough of that and allow yourself to really feel that. Here's the thing about the PTSD, about the anxiety, the hypervigilance, right? The hypervigilance is when you walk outside and like your awareness is everywhere you're not in some other world. You're not dissociated. You're not checked out. You're not like everybody else looking on their cell phones and blah, blah, blah. You are like, it's like you have like the volume is like totally turned up on your sensory experience. You are fully aware of everything around you. You can tell me exactly what that person was wearing who just passed you and what, you know, the mom and she had three kids and it was a girl and two boys and like this person over there is doing that and that person's doing that. It's like literally you've developed a superhero power of hypervigilance. That's a power that people who are training to be special operatives and intel, for example, like they go through training which creates that hypervigilance, you know, and then they become a super agent because they have this hypervigilance. Essentially, yes, they have PTSD. They've been through some kind of trauma-based mind control in their programming, and now they are very, very aware of what's going on. It's it's part of the PTSD, but at the same time, it's also a superhero power. If you learn how to channel that in the right way, if you learn to use that to your benefit, yes, your anxiety is like, amplified compared to a normal person you're having this facebook conversation and like it feels like you're facing like a lion's like charging you and breathing on you and like you feel like this lion's gonna eat you that's the physiological reaction happening in your body that's the anxiety that you're feeling so you recognize that that is a sign you have to trust that when the anxiety is through the roof something's not right the the only filter you want to be careful of is is, is the anxiety exactly related to this or is it related to something else Right? If you're not doing anything seemingly in the moment, you're not having contact with someone and the anxiety comes out of nowhere, what I find usually happens is it was a thought. It was a thought of mine that created that anxiety. Who was I thinking about? What was I thinking about? That was the source of the anxiety. That anxiety is a warning signal for you. Something's not right. Something's not right there. So stop. Stop engaging. As soon as you feel that overwhelming anxiety, stop. Take a break. Separate yourself from that. Go do something else totally different, go move your body, go dance, go walk, go run, do something, yoga, something with your body to move your actual body, right? So that things in your mind start shifting and then come back to that and decide if you actually want to respond to that and how you want to respond to that or if you want to respond with no contact. As soon as you notice this person is toxic and they're trying to like hook you into these arguments and they're always justifying why you should defend yourself and why this and that and the other, you're just going to waste so much time and energy there and it's going to cause you more and more and more anxiety because your, your body is like literally trying to tell you this is dangerous for you, this is not safe for you. So you can utilize the PTSD as a superhero power if you approach it from a conscious perspective versus allowing it to control you unconsciously. That's the thing with PTSD is it can be healed. You have to enter there with like super consciousness. You have to be able to see it as an observer, as a witness and utilize that for your benefit versus letting it take you over and take over your system. You know, the dread attacks come on. I did a special video about that, how to deal with the PTSD dread, if that kind of thing happens. I recommend checking that out because that's something a little bit different. That is the past haunting you, right? But also usually a sign that whatever you're thinking about is reminding you of the past, possibly another dangerous situation, something that's just not healthy for you learn to utilize your ptsd as a superhero power and learn to trust your intuition okay it just happens to be that yours your anxiety barometer is like way turned up compared to the average person just as your hypervigilance is so use that to your advantage right and what's going to happen what I noticed at first when I started dating again after taking like you know nine months off after the last experience when I started dating again I noticed I was hypervigilant of things that appeared to be gaslighting like hypervigilant and what I would do was immediately question it I would immediately ask the person so what did you mean by that so you know when you did this I was just curious what you meant or what your intention was when you said this or that. And then I would be very present in your body as you're listening to this person. Like listen to the words for sure, because sometimes people reveal themselves in their words, but really listen to what you're Body is sensing because the body doesn't lie their body doesn't lie unless they have been trained to maintain the way that their body can lie to you but very few people can actually do that the most skilled sociopath that can do that sort of thing but your body is your primary barometer your body will tell you if you get an icky feeling if your stomach drops if you feel like you want to throw up if you feel like your heart is beating like crazy and it's going into your head like you were describing I get that sometimes too That's that's an anxiety feeling right However your body is telling you, listen to your body. Don't doubt yourself. No matter what you're seeing on the external appearance out there from that person, you have to trust yourself first. You have to. It is a huge part of recovery from codependency is trusting yourself first, your self-care first. You have to believe yourself first. The trouble is, as a codependent, putting other people first all your life, it's gonna look like a much more noble decision to put the other person first, to give them the benefit of the doubt, to second guess yourself, to self doubt, and listen to what they're saying. You don't wanna do that, because you'll always see that your intuition was right. And the more you listen to your intuition, and act upon your intuition immediately, even when you have no proof, the stronger your sense of self trust will be. And that is a huge part of recovering from PTSD, from codependency, from abusive relationships. The other thing I wanna tell you about the intuition too is if you don't act on your intuition and you stay in it because you're giving the other person the benefit of the doubt but you felt something, sooner or later you will have the proof. The question is how much did you get hurt in the process, right? Because it is inevitable harm. Hanging out around someone without a conscience, someone whose conscience doesn't work like yours and they're able to manipulate people, inevitable harm. Could be a little bit of a harm, could be a lot of harm be any of that it's gonna be inevitable harm if you really feel like you got to stick around to see the proof just know that you're setting yourself up to be hurt keep that in mind and keep in mind that when you choose your intuition first you might not always have proof in fact you might never get the proof except that what happens what I usually find later is that I listen to my intuition I say no I put the boundary down I never really get immediate proof from that person but I just I know because I have the intuition and then what happens is after going no contact in the next couple weeks you'll start having the flashbacks of that relationship you know even if it was just a little bit of texting on Facebook or something, you will have the flashbacks and that's your sign. Like if you're having the flashbacks and they're triggering the anxiety and all that, that's the PTSD that means that something happened that hurt you, that's your sign something wasn't right. If you just keep rehashing this conversation you had with them or this thing that they did or this event that happened, that's your sign. That's all the proof that you need. You really need to start trusting yourself for the sense of approval and the sense of validation. Like. You got to give that to yourself instead of looking for it outside yourself because the danger is that the person eventually will validate that you're right, but they're going to hurt you in the process. They're never going to tell you that you're right, but they're going to do something that hurts you and you're going to know then that your intuition was right, but by then it's too late. You've already been hurt. So listen to your intuition and utilize the PTSD as a superhero power instead of letting it use you. What happens, particularly in the limbic system, which is like emotions and memories, there's the amygdala or amygdala, and then there's the hippocampus. And what happens is the amygdala is in charge of, let's say, emergency responses, anxiety, fear, this sort of stuff. So it's like this bunch of nerve cells. And what happens when you're consistently exposed to fear, to traumatizing situations, to emergency situations a lot of nerve bundles, a lot of nerve connections form there. So it's like the amygdala gets enlarged, and then they say it's almost like a light switch where like, it's permanently on, like the anxiety switch is permanently on. This is all built into our biology for biological reasons, right? For survival, for adapting to things, for processing things. I mean, these exist for normal reasons, but what happens in abuse is there's this over enlargement of this anxiety area. And so you're constantly on an anxiety response to things. So what also happens is the amygdala works with the hippocampus, and the hippocampus is in charge of converting short-term to long-term memory. And what happens is all that energy goes to the amygdala, growing the nerve bundles there, and then the hippocampus ends up shrinking in terms of nerve, nerve connections there. And so what happens then is abuse amnesia, where your brain deletes it. Like, you forget most of the things that happened. You might even forget most of your childhood if you grew up in one of these situations, abuse, neglect, abandonment, I forget most of my childhood. I have glimpses only. You know, it's more like a big dream. And my brother will tell me stories sometimes. He's amazing because he remembers everything in incredible detail. And when he tells me these stories, sometimes I feel like he's talking about someone else. And so what happens is, so say you're in the moment and there's so much tension and so much stress that your brain literally just deletes what's happening in order to survive, in order to keep yourself going because it's entirely too much to process. So there's no conversion between the short and long-term memory, which is why you might also notice that like your memory retention, like maybe you're in school or you're just trying to learn something and maybe like you notice you stare at this page for like 30 minutes and you keep staring at the same paragraphs and like you're just not getting it in you can't digest it or maybe in school you notice that like you're just not as quick or you don't have the capacity that you had before i noticed this in the languages i speak like 20 years ago i sp- i speak five languages 20 years ago three of them including english i spoke like at an absolute native level like natives would have confirmed that and maybe I lost some in practice over the years, but I really believe that there was some changes in my brain that now it's 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 not as easy for me to speak as fluently, uh, as natively as I used to be able to speak those languages. I do believe that was caused by some sort of brain damage. And I think that Doing work to strengthen the brain, to strengthen the nervous system, it can really help. It doesn't mean it's going to stay like this forever, but there's a long process of healing that takes place. Dr. Daniel Amen, it looks like Amen, look him up. He is a brain specialist. He's read, I don't know, thousands of brain scans, and he just knows so much about helping people to recover after brain injuries, and he'll show you the before and after. Like He worked with football players, like American football players who have so much brain damage from getting hit over and over, concussion after concussion. He shows you the original brain scan, and it's shocking. You know, maybe like a 40-year-old guy or 30-year-old guy has the brain of like a 70-year-old. And then he puts them on these supplements, and he does this training with them, and then like months or years later, their brain looks entirely different, how their brain is functioning. So I would look him up. He's a fantastic resource on, on the topic of brain health. You might be interested in things that he has to say. Today, I want to talk about anxiety and how you can help yourself overcome the enormous amount of overwhelming anxiety that you tend to fear during and after an abusive relationship. So that anxiety will just really eat at you, you know, it'll just like overtake your life and it gets out of control and then it feels like you don't even know what you can do to stop it, to calm it down and sometimes that can escalate into like a full-blown panic attack. You don't want to get that far, you know, because every time you do that, you're setting yourself back so much. You've probably experienced that when you get really pulled into that anxiety, it takes you hours and hours and hours to calm down. I mean, you can lose entire days on that role, right, of anxiety. One of the leading contributions to anxiety is the television broadcasting. Unfortunately, in America especially, we've gotten really used to our television sets and you walk into people's homes and often the TV is just on, like all the time. Like maybe no one's even watching it, but it's just on and it's just putting out this bombardment of stimulation, of information, of electromagnetic waves and the thing is that the television works on electromagnetic waves and that actually affects your brain your brain works on electromagnetic waves they test these in hospitals with the eeg they put those little those little nodes on people's brains and and figure out you know is their brain moving in alpha beta delta theta brain waves what's going on where in which parts of the brain they can tell a lot about about a person's state through that and if you're sitting in front of the television frequently that's really messing up your brainwave state. It is causing a state of constant arousal and constant anxiety. And you might think, I don't notice that. Like I sit in front of the TV, everything's fine. But the thing is that you don't notice it until you stop doing it for a period of time. I got rid of my television in 2003. I just didn't want to have one anymore. I didn't want to have broadcasting. It was just against the idea. I wanted to focus on other things. And then about three years later, four years later, I was at somebody's house and they had the TV on and it was like dancing with the stars or something. It wasn't even like the news or something really horrific. It was just like a fun TV program and I sat down in front of the TV and in a couple minutes I started to go into like a full panic attack and it was just literally the bombardment of those waves coming off that television. It was so much anxiety I couldn't handle it. So the first thing I want to recommend to you is to turn off the television. Give yourself certain hours of certain days that you can watch it. You know, maybe you have like a favorite series or some movies that you really love to watch and it's a good way for you to like relax and calm down, just unwind after work or before bed. And that's okay. You know, set that time up that you can do that, that you can watch your, your favorite things. Maybe you really want to laugh. You want to put on a funny movie and you want to just kick back and laugh and just like forget about all the worries and problems and just have a really good time and have some fun. And that's great too. But when it's just on and it's on broadcasting, you know, and it's just on and on and on and on, that's really working against you and against the sense of peace that you'd probably really like to cultivate. And I also want to recommend meditation as an excellent prescription for calming down the anxiety. I mean, meditation is just wonderful for so many things. Now, there's so much science out there about the neuroplasticity, how your brain and nervous system actually changes as you meditate. So, the science is out there, and now everybody's talking about meditation and how great it is for you. So, I recommend that instead of sitting there and just watching the television or just having it on constantly, when you you're just winding down after workday, when you're winding down before you go to bed, you want to relax and calm down, give yourself some time to meditate. It's a great thing to do in bed, especially if you have trouble sleeping. If you have trouble like shutting it down in your mind because you're just thinking and, and ruminating on things, laying in your bed and taking some deep breaths with your eyes closed and focusing your awareness on your breath giving that attention to your breath, bringing your awareness there instead of to the thoughts and the thoughts will come by and then you're going to get distracted, but then come back to the breath and then you'll get distracted again and then come back to the breath and just keep focusing on your breath and you don't need to do anything unnatural with your breath. Just observe your breath. And maybe you'll even notice that sometimes like you're not breathing that you're almost like holding your breath and you're holding your breath kind of up here as you're thinking and thinking and thinking about something that's causing you anxiety. Or maybe what you notice is that you're taking like very, very shallow breaths into like the top, top, top part of your lungs. You're not breathing into like the fullness of your lungs. You're not breathing into your belly. If you watch baby sleep, you watch its belly go up and down like this as it's breathing, that's the natural breath. So you wanna allow yourself to focus on the breath, to calm down, to focus that awareness down inside your body because your awareness is probably here a lot. It's in your mind. It's thinking about a lot of things. You know, bring it down into your heart. What does your heart say? Bring it down into your body. What is your body saying? Are there any particular areas of your body right now that are in pain or in tension or maybe have a message that they wanna share with you? So the more you practice that meditation, and I mean, it can be for two minutes or five minutes a day, if that's all you can do at the beginning and that's all you have time for, that's great, do something. If you start meditating for a few minutes and then you fall asleep at night, that's not a bad thing. It didn't mean you failed at meditation, it means that the meditation helped you fall asleep peacefully. And the more you meditate, the more you get to know yourself, the more self-awareness you have, the closer in connection and contact you're going to be with your intuition. And that is an invaluable inner resource that no one can take from you. Your intuition is always right and it only goes wrong when you doubt it and take action against it. So those are my two tips for today to reduce anxiety, turn off the boob tube and meditate because it is so important for the healing journey, especially after you're coming out of a psychologically abusive relationship. Today, I want to talk about something that affects a lot of people coming out of abusive relationships and situations, and people who have PTSD, and that is the dread. The dread is like this underlying gnawing feeling that's just like really really annoying and unsettling and it lets you think that something's not right you feel like something is about to happen as we say like the other shoe is about to fall and and it's like you're looking around and expecting like everything looks everything seems okay so what is it so what is it so what is it right and that dread it starts little and I the way I experience it is like it starts in my chest and then it just kind of like spreads outward with like these tentacles, you know, and then it's just like spreading through my entire body. And by the time it gets to the point that it's taken over my entire body, at that point, it's very, very difficult to override. So what I, and and then it's just like hours, right? Hours and hours into like that trap of dread and terror. It it ends up feeling like utter terror. And, And you feel so alone because no one else understands what it is. And it seems like there's nothing really a threat. That's happening. So, what I found to be really helpful is to catch it in those early stages. As soon as I start to feel that crawling, creeping, unsettling, gnawing feeling in my chest, I stop everything else I'm doing. I lay down or sit down, depending where I am, and I start breathing. And I start telling myself this mantra. The mantra is This is just a memory. I am safe. This is just a memory. I am safe. This is just a memory. I am safe. And I repeat that over and over and over to myself and just again and again and again. And I breathe and I meditate and I focus on my breath and I just keep telling myself that mantra over and over and over again. Because really that's what it is. It's a memory, right? It's like your nervous system remembers that when things get calm, it's the calm before the storm. So if you were in an abusive relationship, probably what happened was there would be a period of calm or maybe it was the silent treatment. From your abuser and then you're just like expecting and expecting and expecting because you know what's coming you know it's coming you know it's coming and then all of a sudden when you're least expecting it boom the next attack is there you know and I imagine something very similar is happening to people who have been to war and have PTSD you know maybe maybe like things were calm and okay and in their nervous system learned to anticipate that that calmness meant that the storm was coming that another attack was coming and this Dread is just like it's one of the characteristics, like the key characteristics of the PTSD symptoms. And it is it is like all consuming. It you can't do anything. Like when you get stuck in that dread, you're just in this horrible state of anxiety. Maybe it becomes like a full blown panic attack, and and you can't function. And and then you become hyper vigilant. And then like every sound you hear, maybe you're at home alone at night, and you hear a sound, and then like your whole body becomes paralyzed, and you can't move, and you can barely breathe because you're terrified that someone is there or someone is coming to get you or however that plays out for you, you know. But that hyper vigilance, like that fear of like scanning the environment where's the next attack coming from that's really what the dread is it's just it's a memory it's a memory from the past when you were in an abusive situation or when you were at an actual war battle you know if you're in an abusive marriage or abusive relationship like you're at war too it's just that your battleground doesn't look like war right you're not dressed in camo there aren't tanks and missiles flying around your battleground is your everyday life it's home. It's your car. It's your significant other's home if you're not living together. It's the grocery store. It's, it's whatever. It's your community. It's your neighborhood. Anything is fair game for that kind of attack to come up. And, and that's like the really complicated part after that kind of abuse is that you didn't leave the battleground. So that's why your body like can't, can't even understand that you're safe because your nervous system was trained to believe that that calm means that something's coming. So I really recommend this mantra. It took me at least a month. It was probably at least 30 days that I just I just kept doing this every day, every day. This is just a memory. I am safe. And I kept repeating that to myself over and over again so that my conscious mind could convince my subconscious mind that I was safe. That this wasn't really happening. There wasn't really an actual current threat. That it was just based on a memory of an experience or many experiences that I had. And so maybe it takes your brain, your subconscious mind as well, about 30 days to reprogram. Maybe it takes you a little longer, you know. But I really recommend this mantra over and over again. Just keep repeating it to yourself as you're breathing, as you're calming down. This is just a memory. I am safe. To complete this kind of three-part series I'm doing today on anxiety, dread, and how you can override this in your brain and in your mind, I want to let you know about an app that I use, an application that is really, really helpful. It's called Brainwave. Brainwave, like your brain waves, right? And um, I have an iPhone. I've heard that the Android version might be a little different. I have like 30 different programs that I can choose from. I think that the Android version might only have like five or six some people have told me and I'm not sure if there's an option to upgrade. Um, I know this only costed a few dollars. It used to be free. Now it was probably less than $5. And for like $7, you can get like an 80 program update. And essentially these programs, you can go through here. They have all kinds of stuff like problem solving, memory boost, concentration, focused and alert, morning coffee, stress reduction, anger relief, calm reflection. And so what you do is like you can click on one. So let's say we want to do reduce anxiety i'm going to click on that and then i'm going to click the information button and it's going to tell me exactly what this is good for so the reduce anxiety program is a combination of low delta delta theta and mid-range theta sequences designed to help induce deep relaxation followed by a period of lucid calm used while lying down and relaxing or while meditating so it, it lets you know which brain waves it's using it lets you know which combination of that and what it might be good for and so you can choose one based on you know whatever you're looking for you can go up here and program the time so like maybe you have 20 minutes you want to meditate for 20 minutes and then it'll kind of give you like this little alarm afterward to let you know that you're done maybe you want to program it for an hour to meditate or maybe for like the hour that you're going to take a nap or like the hour as you're like sliding drifting off into sleep you can choose up to like eight different hours it also works you know if your phone is if your screen is locked so you don't have to keep using screen time you can choose a different background so you can choose like oh waves, rain, jungle sounds, that sort of thing. You can adjust the volume of the ambiance and the brainwaves, and and then you just hit play. And you need to use headphones. You need to have both sides in, and the reason for that is that that's how this works. It's called binaural beats, B-I-N-A-U-R-A-L. And what that means is it's playing one frequency into one ear, another frequency into the other ear, and the split of the difference is the brainwave frequency that you're receiving. So if it's it's between four and seven megahertz, then you're in the theta, brainwave and and so what that will do is that'll start to entrain your brainwaves by playing those brainwaves just like when your television is bombarding you with certain electromagnetic waves this is like a way of utilizing that same technology but to heal yourself so i really recommend this app it is like it's it's just a wonderful thing for calming down for getting like centered resynced with yourself and with the world around you you'll find if you put on your headphones and listen to this and like take a little walk around and i don't recommend doing this while you're driving do not listen to this while you're driving you could zone out but when you're walking around just be sure you're paying attention but what you'll notice is that like the most beautiful little synchronicities happen these like amazing little meaningful coincidences and you just really feel like you're connected to everything but mostly what i like to use this for is before sleep and during meditation because it really just helps to like calm everything down and that's why i recommend this app so this is a great tool to use because also it's like passive you don't really have to do anything you can choose the program and then you just let go and you go along for the ride and it does the work itself you don't have to like use some kind of exercise to get your brain to sink. it just naturally happens so that's wonderful and I can't emphasize enough how helpful this has been for me to calm my mind down to just really stay centered and and relaxed and to stay out of those anxiety cycles you know to retrain your brain because the thing is that during trauma and abuse your brain waves have changed your neural pathways have changed things aren't programmed in a way that feels good in a way that's healthy for you and this will really help to retrain these processes like through the neuroplasticity it will actually change the way that your brain is functioning it's a wonderful way to help yourself, you know, because a lot of people talk about how difficult it is to meditate, the constant bombardment of thoughts and distractions and things around. And especially if you have like one of those great sets of headphones that like covers everything and even like noise cancels the environment, you can really get into this and let go. And it's, it's just a wonderful way to help yourself get out of the anxiety and the dread and the fear and the worry and to calm down. Is it CPTSD panic or is it real? This is a common question I hear from people in the community. They'll say things like, when I feel panicked, how do I tell if it's really something to panic about or if it's just the CPTSD panic? So this is something that you're going to need to learn to recognize within yourself. I'm going to give you some pointers today that are going to help you to develop greater discernment between these two types of panic. It's important to understand that the CPTSD panic, and this is also very similar to the PTSD panic, it's due to all the traumas of the past in which you felt intense fear in situations and relationships that felt like life or death. It might have actually been life or death. Your life might have actually been in jeopardy or it might have felt that way. Either way, your subconscious interpreted the experiences as life or death and now your nervous system is on guard. It's called hyperarousal. Your nervous system is on hyperarousal. Very common symptom of PTSD which just simply means your nervous system is on high alert. It's almost like the amperage is turned way up, you know, like it's like the volume is turned way up on something, on, on your sensory intake, so that even a little sudden noise, which might be absolutely nothing, it might just be the car outside or just something falls off the desk, even a little sudden noise can be really alarming and set off this whole biochemical response inside of you until you investigate it and realize that it's just something silly. It was just nothing. Maybe for example, you're laying in bed and you're about to fall asleep and all of a sudden you're wide awake because you hear this little tapping on the door and your mind immediately starts imagining your ex or some bad person is there behind the door taunting you before they're about to storm into your room and rip you to pieces or some kind of horrible scenario that your mind starts inventing. But then upon investigating, opening the door, it turns out, there's like a little sign on your door that you forgot it was there and the breeze from the window is making it blow so it's tapping on your door and maybe you just never noticed before because the wind is stronger tonight. Or maybe you're at the point in your healing journey where that doesn't happen on the daily anymore. So in the earlier stages of the CPTSD, It might be that this is happening multiple times a day. Like every little noise is setting you off. That can definitely happen. Then maybe you get to the point in your healing journey where that's not happening on the daily anymore. And you mostly only notice this in unfamiliar places. Like you get that sudden startling panic when you're staying in a hotel or an Airbnb or you have a new lover and you spend the night at his or her house. And so it's like your brain hasn't yet recognized and categorized all the little sounds of the place yet. So everything is jarring you from trying to fall asleep. You might even notice this mostly when you're trying to fall asleep or you're just sitting around the house, something like that. So remember, your nervous system is on hyperdrive because of the PTSD. So it's blowing things out of proportion, even little things, and it's creating that panic response. So how do you notice this in the body? For me, this kind of sudden panic comes on like a tidal wave. It's like it washes over my body, and it feels like this tingling from head to toe. And then I'll get that chest pressure and the shortness of breath. I'll feel like... Like I can't quite catch a breath. Or maybe I even feel like this paralysis in the body. That's a feeling I remember having most of my life. If no one was home and I heard a sound in the stairs, you know in old houses how the wood creaks sometimes, my mind would just immediately imagine someone was walking up the stairs and they were gonna kill me and I would just be paralyzed. Like I couldn't move wherever I was. You might notice that kind of thing happens to you too. Or maybe it might be like this sudden cold that comes over you and it's like you're shivering to the bone and you can't get warm or a sudden hot flash just the opposite and you're just like pouring sweat like all of a sudden so these kinds of panic attacks usually go away almost as fast as they start but the key is to investigate So as soon as you investigate the noise in your house or maybe there was a loud noise outside and it came and it went and then it was gone, once you investigate and you realize it wasn't a threat, then your brain can rationalize that that noise had a harmless explanation and then the panic in the body goes away. Now there's a difference between this kind of false panic alarm caused by the hyperarousal of your nervous system and then the kind of panic that's actually trying to warn you about something that's not okay for you. So this second kind of panic is one that's more of an intuition, and it might happen something like this, maybe you're thinking about taking out a big loan to make a renovation on your house, and you're really excited about making that renovation and all the plans. but then when the finance person comes over and you're talking about the details and you're you're sitting there you're you're noticing this panic is starting to come on, and maybe it's not. That sudden tidal wave. Maybe it's just this like this gradual kind of panic and it's a lower grade. Imagine this is where a fever. That first kind of panic, the false panic is like the acute 104 degrees Fahrenheit. This is the kind that's like the low grade fever. It's like, you know, maybe like a hundred. It's not the really strong fever. It's a low grade one. It's a low grade panic. So the finance guy is sitting there and you notice this kind of like gnawing low grade panic coming on. And then your mind starts spinning. And it's thinking about all kinds of fears of what could happen. And then maybe later that night, every time you think about it, you start to feel like you're panicking or maybe like tomorrow you go to work and you're trying to focus on other things, but there's still this weird feeling of panic under the surface. Or maybe it happens that you're at home and you're doing whatever. Someone calls you up and they invite you to an event or to something. And maybe on the surface, it sounds really fun, but as soon as they say it, for some reason, you feel this sudden panic come on and you don't even know why, you know, and again, maybe it's more of the low grade panic, but you know, then you go on with your life, you're working, you're doing other things, you're not thinking about it, but that feeling just keeps following you under the surface, that low grade fever kind of feeling. That kind of panic is usually a sign that something isn't right for you. The loan, the event, the people at the event, something isn't okay for you. That kind of panic won't leave you alone about a particular situation because it's usually an intuition. It won't go away until you make a decision to protect yourself and your peace. That could be setting a boundary or saying no. It could be calling up the finance guy and say, you know what, I'm sorry, I thought about it and it's just not the right decision for me or for my family. right now or maybe you call up your friend who invited you to whatever event you say you know what I'm sorry I'm just not feeling it have a great time let's catch up soon as soon as you make that decision as soon as you set that boundary you're gonna notice that the panic goes away the false panic alarms usually come on quickly really intensely and they go away just as quickly as soon as you investigate it and rationalize that there was a simple and harmless explanation. The intuitive panic is the type that doesn't go away. It doesn't go away every time you think about that situation or even when you're trying to do other things, but that situation just simply isn't resolved yet. It's just kind of hanging there in the background when you're trying to do other things and that can get confusing. You know, you might be wondering like, where's this panic coming from? I'm doing this thing that I enjoy or I'm doing that thing and nothing seems to be going on or you're just hanging out with someone awesome But you can't shake that underlying feeling because the situation hasn't been resolved yet A decision hasn't been made yet. A boundary hasn't been set yet So some challenges to differentiating these two types of panic might be like I said, you know You're sitting around and you're doing something else. Maybe you're you're, you're zoning out or you're thinking about whatever, you're just thinking, you know how your mind will go from one subject to another to another so quickly through this, this whole sequence of thoughts and then suddenly you feel panic and you don't know where it's coming from. There was no noise, there was no external stimulus, it came from a thought. So what you need to do is trace the last thing that you were thinking about right before you started to feel that way and maybe you can't remember, like maybe so much was going through your mind that you just can't remember what you were thinking of or what that one thing was that might happen that's okay it's probably going to come back but as you practice this you're going to get better at identifying which kind of panic it is and what the panic is is about which is going to make it easier to decide what to do about it. So regardless, no matter which kind of panic it is, and even when you don't know, the very first thing to do when you feel panic is investigate. Where is this coming from? What is causing this? So if it was a noise, go investigate it immediately. Don't just lie there terrified or stand there paralyzed, letting your mind invent a thousand different fear scenarios that probably don't even exist in reality. The longer you stay there paralyzed with terror, the more the stress hormones are going to start pumping through your blood. So the quicker you investigate, the quicker you stop that whole biochemical response to the panic. So if it wasn't something like a noise, and instead it came from your thoughts about a situation, investigating is when you're going back in your mind, like, what was I thinking about? Okay, I was just thinking about that. Well, what about that is making me feel panicked? That's the kind of investigating you do with that kind of panic. So it's really important in the aftermath of panic, to take extra good care of yourself because it is really tough on your body and mind to have all these stress hormones coursing through your blood and especially in the early stages of PTSD or CPTSD recovery when it's constant multiple times through a day. That's a lot of stress hormones. That's a lot of cortisol. That has a lot of negative effects on on your body and mind. In fact, I talked about that in my Sana series. I don't know if you've downloaded that yet. Check it out on my website, the 12-week Sana series series. One of those episodes talks about that cortisol response. So after the panic episode takes place, be gentle with yourself. Be sure to do things that feel comfortable and safe and take extra good care of yourself so that you can nurture your body back to balance. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Inner Integration Podcast. I hope you learned something today that helps you see from a new perspective so you can take new action and transform your life after narcissistic abuse remember you are enough you matter and you got this if you liked this episode and want to hear more you can subscribe to get automatic updates on new podcast episodes as they're released visit us online at www.innerintegration.com where you'll get a free three-part video course when you enter your name and email on the homepage. Get loads of more free content to help you heal after narcissistic abuse on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Big hug to you.